Welcome to the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, bringing you bi-weekly discussions designed to help you grow your business and create the lifestyle you desire. Elevate your business with proven strategies from virtual CFOs, CPAs, and business advisors. We discuss real-world challenges solved with actionable steps that get you the results you need both in business and building the life you deserve. Thank you for joining us for episode number 117 of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast, brought to you by PJS and Co-CPAs. I'm your host, Megan Spicer, and we are excited to welcome a financial therapist on today's show. In 2006, she partnered with the Actors Fund, a national human services organization to pioneer a cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT-based financial wellness program, integrating financial education, psychoeducation, and supportive counseling coaching. In addition to working as a practitioner, she is also an author, speaker, consultant, and workshop leader. Big, warm welcome to the show, Amanda Clayman. Thank you, Megan. I'm thrilled to be here. We are very excited to have you. And Amanda actually found you from our team, my Amanda, <laughs> found you when listening to another podcast. And she brought the podcast to me and she said, hey, you know, check out this financial therapist I found. I think she'd be really good for the show. And I started listening and I said, I've never heard of a financial therapist. Have you? And she goes, no, that's what intrigued me about it. So I'm sure you get this all the time, but I think we'll just start there. I don't know that a lot of people even know that this is available as an option to work with a financial therapist. So number one, what is that? (laughs) And number two, how did you find your way into that industry? Because like I said, it's not something that a lot of people even know is available as a (laughs) career. So a financial therapist is somebody who is looking at money from a holistic point of view. So looking at money and how it it lives in our lives cognitively, emotionally, relationally, how we infuse money with a, a great deal of personal symbolic meaning and and a place where you can go and engage with a professional who is there to talk to you about money and what's happening in your financial life, but really from the perspective of how money contributes to our overall well-being. So that's kind of the first question. Maybe a, a, an easy way to understand that is it's a place where you can be messy with money. You know, a lot of us feel like to some degree we may even know or have some idea of, of what it is that we should be doing with money, but we find that the implementation of that is particularly difficult mm-hmm. or that we sabotage ourselves and run into all kinds of limiting behaviors or beliefs, et cetera. So so I find that there was a a kind of hole that was missing between going into, say, a more therapeutic or coaching context and not feeling like it was perhaps appropriate or, or that your clinician was prepared to engage with you specifically around money issues. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, talking to a financial professional who, even though financial professionals would be the first ones to tell you that they are often dealing with really, really big life stuff in those conversations about money, do not have the clinical acumen and training to really be able to go there with, with their, their clients on anything but a kind of just like a human wanting to help kind of a level. So I found this work for me 
way, way, I mean, we have to like go back in time now, 20 years to little Amanda in New York City, moving there with no money and a lot of financial anxiety. I was determined to kind of throw myself at the world and figure out my own problems. One of those problems, as it became clear very early on in my experience, was that I had a lot of baggage when it came to money. And my parents had both grown up poor and had a lot of financial anxiety and had had put all of this like focus in our family into to being able to get ahead from where they started. But I didn't realize that the psychological kind of legacy that that left for me is that it was very hard for me to really look at money. I was incredibly avoidant about it, had a lot of shame about it. And so when I got myself into financial trouble, I just felt so shut down around that and did not behave in a in a very healthy way. And my process of getting back on track in my financial life was actually more about getting back on track with myself. And I I kind of thought, huh, why isn't there a place to go and explore this? Because I was in therapy at the time. And I thought there's a real need here, especially once I started talking to so many people in my life who said, oh, thank God you said something. We're having the same problems too. And so I thought this is much bigger than one person. This seems to be a cultural moment and a social and an economic moment where money infuses everything in our lives. Money can be this wonderful portal to, to staying grounded and to getting to know ourselves better. So that was really the intention with which I switched careers went into the mental health field specifically because I wanted to work with people around the role of money in their lives. You touched on so many good nuggets just in that intro. The world of finances, we're coming at it from the perspective of a business owner. But even the way that you grew up, like I'll start there, I guess, and acknowledging your family's feelings toward money can impact you in a way that you're not really making logical decisions as a business owner, you're making more emotional decisions about the stability that you need or the comfort that you need. Or to your point, maybe you don't really like looking at it and you just ignore it because you just can't even go there. Right. Right. So it's it's a lot to unpack. If you guys are interested in learning more about this, you can find her at amandaclayman.com because there's so much information that you share. And I think that's an important resource to share up front here because we're not going to cover everything. But I think starting at the point of there's a lot of stress when it comes to money and finances, and especially in today's environment with all of the volatility that we're all seeing. As a business owner, how do you start to tackle some of those maybe irrational feelings that you have around money and even acknowledge that maybe you have them? Because to this point, maybe you just didn't even think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's the reason that I'm making these decisions. So how do you even start to do this work of acknowledging and figuring out how to manage that? Well, the funny thing is, most of us don't know where we have these sort of like, I, I think of it as a lens that we're all looking through. And just like if you went to an ophthalmologist and, and had a prescription, they would say, okay, this is the distortion of your lens. So we're going to make this sort of correction that helps you see more clearly. When it comes to our thoughts and emotions, we don't necessarily have the insight because we have the emotion in our body. And the thought is basically the emotion's mouthpiece, even though we don't 
recognize it that way. We think that our thoughts are are very rational and our thoughts are telling us the truth. And no, thoughts are very pernicious, wily things. We are not our thoughts is one of the first things that I want to say. But we may be getting that feedback from other people in our lives who are saying, huh, the, the way that you're looking at money or approaching this decision seems a little different maybe from how I would look at it or other people would would think about it. So sometimes that that perspective comes from a person in our lives. Sometimes we might notice the way that I did that I can't step up and function the way that I want to. I know I'm supposed to be looking at my money. I know I'm supposed to be making decisions about how, how I want to allocate it, but I will find lots of other things to do. So it doesn't look like avoidance. It just looks like busy. Or I will say, I'm not going to look at it until I have something that I can do about it. So again, like this seems very rational. It seems like a plan. It is not. It is all coming from that emotional place. So it's helpful to be able to have some insight and some ability to step outside of our, ourselves and, and think, is this really the way that I want to be functioning relative to my finances? Or if there are goals that you really have and, and you notice that it's really tough for you to organize around a goal, like maybe there's a behavioral gap between where it is that you want to go and you're not able to get to. These are all sort of the things that open the door to make us start to look at financial questions a little bit differently. Yeah. And I can see where that would be applicable in a lot of different areas, right? Not just finances. And I tend to do this. I tend to make relational things to like working out because it's the same thing, right? We all know that we should be eating well, we should be working out, but then it's in the implementation. So I see how similar those are. And once you've recognized that there's a problem, I guess in the implementation, does it really depend on the individual or are there some overarching things that you can recommend for people to start working on better implementation or working that into your habits as far as like working on a budget, actually looking at the budget? Like I said, I'm sure it's individual, but there's got to be some things that we can all work on or keep in mind or be asking ourselves that can help work towards that. Yes. So there are a few things that we can look at. Like one of the main things that I will assess for early on is how does a person engage in their financial lives? Like from a cognitive behavioral standpoint, what brings them into this engagement with money? And a lot of times, especially for very anxious people, there is some kind of external trigger that makes the the pain of avoiding something less than the pain of having to actually deal with it. So maybe it is like there's a scary, urgent communication that comes in the mail. Maybe they happen to glance at their bank balance, even though they were trying really hard not to glance at that bank balance. (laughs) But something that says, oh no, now I have to deal with this. So that is a coupling of that cue and response. That's creating an emotional problem. To be solved, right? We are talking about a feeling experience that's a negative feeling experience. And so our motivation going into this, what looks like, again, solving a financial problem is really coming to us as solving for a pain point. And I think that that's something that escapes our awareness altogether. So one of the first things that I would say is be aware of those triggers and the pain point that you're experiencing. Make sure that you you take a 30 second pause to just say like, what am I feeling right now in my body? How am I experiencing this? Is there a thought 
a belief that's coming through right now about like, you're so bad, you should have avoided Mm -hmm. this situation. Uh, What are our thoughts trying to tell us in that moment? And, And being able to have awareness of our internal experience before we tackle the external problem, I think brings us to a place of greater clarity. The other thing that we can do is to be curious about these sort of questions or challenges that are showing up in our lives. I don't know about you, Megan. I've had to do a lot of work on my internal monologue, my self-talk, those those shoulds that we were mentioning Ooh, a couple of seconds yeah. ago. That's tough. That's not a, a kind voice that's no. in my head. That is not a voice that's saying, you know what, Amanda, you are a human being having a human experience. And sometimes what makes sense in the moment to say yes or no to is is not part of your long-term plan. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're running some some human hardware in that brain and body. And sometimes I feel like I could hold up my chocolate shake that I have off camera here <laughs> as exhibit A. Um, but, you know, in those moments where we're hungry or where we're feeling really insecure or we're tired, like we don't necessarily make these great decisions. And yet our self-talk around them is so incredibly harsh a lot of times. So the awareness piece can also help us to observe who we are in that moment. I often have clients, in fact, do a a two-minute just like transition and centering exercise when they are doing something that's anxiety provoking that they would rather avoid to just let that be part of the experience of it. Hmm. To be sitting in the in the chair and being like, I freaking hate this and wish that I didn't have to do it. And, you know, we can say all of those things and sort of hold the reality of the fact that a lot of times when we're we're interacting with money, we are not happy to be there and having an expectation of ourselves that we're supposed to be like this sort of Zen angelic figure who just dispassionately bestows and guides money into the, you know, what I'm like, that is just not, at least those people are not calling me. (laughs) They're not robots. That's that's the bottom line here. Yeah. But if we, if we look at some of those thoughts, I think that that is the expectation where we have this fantasy where if I were just doing the right things with money, I wouldn't have all of these pesky feelings. When in fact, we can think of financial health and financial wellness as the ability to experience the full spectrum of our emotional self as being present with money without needing to react or suppress those emotions, but realizing that our emotional experience is a really vital and integral part of being able to make personally meaningful choices about how we want to use our money. That's a good point because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I get into this routine, if I start managing my cash flow better in my business, I'm going to feel better about it, right? I'm not going to have this anxiety. And that just might not be the case. Maybe you just don't enjoy that portion of your business. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. just something, it's a have to do, right? Mm -hmm. So acknowledging the fact that it's okay to not like it. Maybe you hold that space aside to express those feelings, and then you get to work and do it and just get it over with. And structure, I would say that there is kind of a middle ground in that 
There are a lot of best practices around the process of change and how to structure tasks and introduce new behaviors and build Mm -hmm. those into behavioral patterns. Like we don't have to reinvent the wheel every Mm -hmm. single time. There are ways to, to not maybe be free of anxiety, but certainly to work with ourselves to, to maintain our ability to be in a functional zone while we're engaging with money in a way that helps to break that that coupling pattern of stimulus response where it's a stressful trigger and then we act on it. Like right. we can kind of engineer a new way of sitting down with our money, feeling our emotions as they arise, and still being able to to work with ourselves in a constructive way as opposed to setting ourselves up to fail and then just reinforcing this is bad. I was right to be afraid of it. I'm a terrible person. Yeah. And the other thing too, as you're talking about this is we get that pain thing, right? Maybe it's a bill that comes in the mail and we let our credit card go or whatever it is, right? And we get that like, whoa, we didn't realize we spent that much or whatever it is. Or man, our cash flow is really out of control this month. You have the pain point. You finally go sit down to address it. Maybe you pay attention to it for three months, get it in a good place, and then you feel comfortable with it again. And then you don't touch it again until the pain point comes. So like, right. that's another part. Like, how do you get over that hump of finding the comfort or, okay, I fixed the problem. Now I can ignore it again. <laughs> we tend to do that too, right? Like if it's something that we don't enjoy, we'll rein it in. We'll really take control. Okay, we're good. And then we get lazy again and start (laughs) not paying attention so much because it's not a pain point anymore. Right. Well, here's the thing that I love about money is that we're never done with Mm -hmm. money. And so we are going to get an infinite number of chances to continue to work on this and to continue trying to change existing patterns. And another thing to keep in mind is we can't undo awareness. So even if you've had the experience of being successful for three months and then backsliding, maybe you really got to experience some peace in your body during that time or got to experience yourself acting in ways that that really helped generate a feeling of self-esteem for you. And so at least once we start to have some good touch points with money, we can say, oh, I really like that feeling. I want to get back to that feeling. Mm. And and so we learn, but we're like, you know what my plan's going to need? It's going to need a way to get back on the horse when I fall right. off. And all of those things can be built into this. In fact, on that awareness piece of it, if, if my clients have the ability, meaning they're not in a, a state of really like something needs to change urgently, if they can just pause and observe how they use money for Mm -hmm. a month or so. And we just build those awareness tools and capacities before we even get to the change piece. One of the benefits of that is that when you sort of map out and can quantify how you spend when you're not trying to change that, that gives us a sense of your baseline. So if you were to do something, call it like right behavior, if you're or goal behavior, if you were to do goal behavior for three months and then backslide, we still have information that we gathered about what that backslide tends to mean. So we're not kind of starting from square one. Okay. That's good to know. It's all about that data, getting that data, (laughs) finding new habits and and how you've backslide too. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to kind of shift back to the the personal aspect of money because, you know, as a CFO firm, CPA firm, we're having a lot of conversations that surround the financial aspect, as y'all know, but it can be difficult to have those more honest and sometimes difficult conversations about money because just because it's your business doesn't mean that it's not personal. And like you said, the way that you were raised, the way that your brain is framed around money, it is very personal and it's a vulnerable place to be talking about finances, even if it is in relation to a business, right? You try to have that professional hat on, like, this is my business, but you can't take your personal emotions and feelings out of it. So how do you start to break the barriers down to talk about those things and help people get more vulnerable with money because they think there tends to be a wall that goes up, right? Like, oh, we're, we're making these decisions based off of logical, here's my reasoning, you know, but there's core feelings down there. So how do you start breaking that wall down? For one, I think that it's really helpful for business owners to have a community around them. And I'm not just talking about other people who may be connected to their particular business. I mean, other people who are making similar decisions Mm -hmm. to them. So, so being in a a place where we're not just stuck in our own heads, feeling like, especially if we're at the kind of top position, it can be very lonely and we can feel a lot of, of pressure And all kinds of stuff can come up around dependence and leadership. Like these are like personal journeys that people are on, whether they recognize it or not. So having that community support is is a way that we can benefit from outside perspective when we're feeling a little bit locked in our own heads or, again, feeling like um, there's a lot of personal pressure that we're experiencing in that role. I would say another thing to look out for is when you feel like there is a story or a narrative that's coming up that you just start seeing all the time everywhere. And the narrative could be something like, you know, I try to do the right things, but people who do the right things are just taken advantage of Hmm. by people, by bad actors who are out Hmm. there. Or I put in all of this work, but when I ask somebody else for help, there's nobody there. To support me. So when you you have this kind of a, a feeling that's a, a framework and you're starting to see it pervasively when you look around, that can be an indication that something is coming up in you around this situation that that is resonant of something that has happened to you in the past. Mm-hmm. And that may be something that is is related to money specifically that you maybe experienced when you were younger. But it can also be what I find is often a, a common parallel is how we were allowed or really not allowed to learn and make mistakes when we were younger. Uh-huh. So if we, for example, were raised to kind of like, you need to get it right, you need to know what the right answer is, where when you made a mistake, you either had really harsh punitive consequences for that mistake or that somehow really challenged your identity as a competent, smart, able person. And that is where where oftentimes what's coming up in our money are these opportunities to, to heal and grow in ourselves. And 
that's why I went into financial therapy. Honestly, it's not because I love the money so much, but because I feel like money surfaces these really big personal issues in our lives. And money gives us this, this very kind of helpful, symbolic and concrete way to get into that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love just listening to you talk about it because you can hear the passion in your voice and and the care and the amount of thought that you've put into all of these areas and the ways that money can impact you. Because as somebody who's not a financial therapist, (laughs) I've never thought about, you know, how that impacts you this deeply, but it makes sense, right? Like how you're learning. And and again, coming back to that self-talk and what you say to yourself when you make a mistake financially or with anything else. It's it's mm-hmm. all tied together. Like I said, we're opening Pandora's box here. I could probably talk to you for mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours. <laughs> but I guess I'll wrap it up with a final question as far as focusing on business growth, because that's what you know we like to, to help our clients do. Are there any specific financial therapy principles that you would say are most helpful for a business owner looking to grow? Yes, there are principles that can be helpful here. Number one is that we are not going to control our way to growth. <laughs> so I feel like I'm the bearer of bad news a little bit there <laughs> because it does feel like sometimes, especially for those of us who have had success in being bigger than our obstacles and sort of saying, oh, there's a constraint, I'm just going to kick it right out of the way. Mm-hmm. But inevitably, we reach a point if we are experiencing this over the long term, like if we're building a business, we're not doing that in a day, right? We are in it for the long haul. And so you will run into a situation where there's no way to kind of know what's around the corner. Like I think that a lot of us learn this in a very big way with the the quarantine and with COVID-19, mm-hmm. that our relationship to the idea of security itself and realizing sort of the limitations of our control there, that was a real wake-up call for a lot of people. So I would say that to folks like if your way of getting to a certain level of success has been by being very, very detail-driven, analytical, really wanting to be able to lock down contingencies, that there will come a point where growth needs to happen, where you sort of take flight from that. Like you will always have that in your pocket as a way to be, but to go to those places that are really growth places for us and for our business, we are definitely going to project some old fears and old thinking frameworks onto the situation. So to be prepared, to be able to to dance with that a little bit and sort of see where maybe our drive for success, the way that we had envisioned it at the beginning of this journey, is trying to create some of those safety conditions for ourselves that we that maybe grew out of experiences we had when we were young, but that if we want to get to like the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is this funny, fun psychological thing where like self-actualization is at the top, Mm -hmm. you know, where we feel connected, where we feel like we really understand our place and our purpose in this world. That comes to a place of wanting to connect with something bigger and more expansive and more possible than just the way that we might have organize that trajectory if it was all coming out of the mindset 
that we started out with. We're getting real deep today, Amanda. Isn't it so fun though? It is. It is super fun. When you talk about it, it's fun. I hold a lot of excitement and optimism for people because I do feel like we have this very narrow understanding of what money is and how it works. And I think when we give ourselves permission to really, to bring our full self into our experience of money and use money as a way of grounding, like I think money is one of the best like self-care and self-reflection practices that we can develop, that when we do that and give ourselves permission to exist there as opposed to just operating or performing money the way that we think that we're supposed to, money can be transformative, really transformative. Well, I just, I love listening to you talk about this. Like I said, I love listening to educators who are passionate about what they do. And you're one of those. So I appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing that enthusiasm and expertise with us and our listeners I know we we pointed listeners to amandaclayman.com. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? I always like to ask a wrap-up question before I let you go here. Yes, I would like to say that a lot of times there is a big challenge that causes us to start to examine uh, how we relate to money. And that that challenge is what opens the door and starts the process but that there is a whole long way that you can go after that challenge if you want to keep exploring this. So a crisis, like let's let's say, thank you, crisis, for opening this door. I'm now paying attention, and now I really want to see where this exploration can take me in a positive way. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. We appreciate you and hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. Keep that momentum going and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Cultivating Business Growth Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review. Gain access to additional free resources and learning opportunities by visiting pjscpas.com forward slash podcast.